where my struggle is, is not taking personal the slings and arrows and right. referring to what you talked about previously, I really have, I have to say on a being level, I, I think I'm doing a good job. It's just in order to relate to other individuals, I find it painful. And so what I've done, especially, well, over the last few years, is I've found myself removing myself from the immediate interactions with people. And while we've been doing the radio show for five years, because we wanted to pick a battle that we could win, <laughs> if you will. So on a regular mm -hmm. basis, the name of the show is called Shift Happens. And all we wanted to do is plant seeds in our listeners' minds and say, hey, life isn't as bad as you think. The world isn't as bad as you think. And here are some stories that we will share when we do interviews with people, mm -hmm. people who have risen above and cast off their stuff, right? And I feel really good about that, but again, it's been a labor of love. We don't make a dime at it. And I'm not complaining. It's just, it's, it's difficult sometimes to, to be in the flow of being a light worker or whatever you want to call it. It's a phrase that gets kicked around. Mm -hmm. It's hard to do that while still being caught in the day-to-day -day struggle of paying the bills. And sure. what I'm finding at this particular point is, and you had referred to dealing with fears. Well, I've dealt with a lot of fears in my life. Three years ago, I had open-heart surgery, and it was touch-and-go. Um, I dealt with a lot of stuff, a lot of, of my shadow side at that point. And I'm finding myself at this place where it's like put up or shut up. There are so many things happening, really positive things happening in our lives. But at the very same time, there are all the old fears that are showing their faces and I, I feel intuitively on a gut level that it's just consciousness giving me an opportunity to prove if I actually have dealt with the stuff or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, consciousness and does that. So I don't really know what my question is. <laughs> Oh, I got it. I got I got a couple of questions in there. <clears throat> there was a couple of questions in there, and one of them, I think that the uh, you know the idea of that you take it, you know you take it personally and you struggle with not taking a lot of the negative and the and the harsh stuff and the annoying things personally, and of course that's ego. But the the way you the way you have to approach this is that everyone else is doing the same thing we're doing. They're all struggling the best they can with what they got 
And what they got is basically what they came into it. The quality of consciousness that they were able to evolve to, you know, before they got here in this avatar. Okay. And everyone is struggling to get along. Everyone is struggling to evolve the best they can with what they've got. So when you have that and then you see a very dysfunctional purpose, a person, you just look at them with compassion because, you know, they're struggling. They're not happy people. You know, when you see these people that are doing mean things and are ugly, these are not happy people. These are people who are struggling to find meaning, to find happiness. And because of their fears, they blame everything on everybody else and such a thing. So rather than taking that personally, you just have to say these folks are they are struggling. They're trying. They've got a lot of fear. And this is just who they are and where they are at this time. And eventually they'll, they'll outgrow it, but here, here they are and this is what they're doing. And then you have compassion for them rather than being annoyed by them. And sometimes it's good just to back away. You know, if it's a, if it's a, a bad space, well then don't go there if you can help it. But sometimes you can't help but being in bad spaces. Sometimes almost all the spaces around you are bad spaces. So then you have to think of it in terms of your growth here requires you to engage dropping out isolating yourself and just never talking to anybody you know being coming to hermit you know living in the cave by yourself so that there's no one to annoy you that's not the solution your growth comes from your interactions with people that's where most of your buttons will get pushed interacting with those people that's where most of your ego is going to flare up that's where your anger is going to come from that's where you're unhappy all those negative things we talked about attached to uh, you know your ego attached to fears that's where you'll find all that stuff is engaging with other people so you want to engage disengaging is not a good long-term strategy it can be a wonderful short-term relief <laughs> you know go live in a pretty place like you have or you know go take a long vacation or just shut the door and stay inside for a week and you know sit in your hot tub and and uh, you know read books that you want to read you know sometimes that's good but in the long term you need to get out there and interact with people and you're doing that in this these you know these videos you're making they're interact you're interacting with people you're going to get a lot of feedback from those videos and you have to deal with that feedback. And you still, like you say, you still have to pay a mortgage. You know, you still have to put gas in the car. You've got things that you have to do. You still have neighbors you need to deal with. You've got parents, you've got children, you've got all sorts of relationships. You can't walk away from that. You have to deal. Well, deal with them with grace, deal with them with understanding, deal with them with compassion and realize that it's not really about you. It's about them. And they're actually, for all their meanness, they're really doing the best they can with what they've got. That's where they are. They've got that much fear that they act that way and try to not add to it. Try to be part of their solution. Try not to feed that anger, you know, not to throw gasoline on that fire. Try to create an environment that helps them see a better way. And you can't do it by explaining to them what the better way is. You just have to let them figure it out on their own. It's not something you can lecture somebody and have them get it. They have to get it. So what you do is instead of getting angry with them, you give them a hug, wish them well, and tell them you hope they have a better rest of the day. And just then let them deal with that act of kindness. Oh, they expected an act of, of you know, of upset. They expected you to be angry because they're angry and you were going to get angry and they were going to work and vent off all this fear that they've got. And it didn't happen that way. They got a hug, a pat on the back. And 
left alone and nobody got angry and that'll start to change them. You see, they'll start seeing the world a little differently just because you didn't involve yourself in their anger. It didn't affect you. So you become a very powerful person as you grow up. You affect all the people around you. All the people you interact with are better off for interacting with you. And that then becomes very rewarding. You begin to see next time you see that person who is rude, he's got a smile on his face when he meets you. You see, because this game of his, I'll make him angry and then we'll get in an argument together and that'll make me feel more powerful or whatever else his reason is for wanting to argue. You see, he's, that doesn't work with you. You can do the same thing with, you know, the relationships that are inside your family. You just don't feed them. You don't give them your energy. You don't connect with them. And that helps other people grow out of them. So the solution there is don't take it personally. It's not. It's not about you. It's about them. It's about their struggle, their fear, their ego, their beliefs. And there isn't anything you can do about that except give them a nice, gentle, kind, non-judging environment and Hopefully, they'll grow up, but sometimes they won't. But now sometimes it, you do have to just leave. Let's say you're in an abusive relationship where, you know, you get beaten or you get, you know, you know hunted at all the time every day. And you're trying to be as kind as you can, but that person just never seems to get it or grow up. Well, then it's time to leave. So it's not like you have to always take, you know, everything all the time. You have to look at life, all life's choices in terms of, Long-term entropy reduction. In other words, in the long term, what's going to be the happiest, the most, the most uh, giving, the most positive, you know, solution that there can be in the long term? And that's how you make your choices. And sometimes that means walking away from a relationship. Maybe you don't go home for Christmas because there's always a lot of fighting and fussing, you know, where, where you go home for Christmas. Well, maybe you just need to back out of that. But maybe not. Maybe you just need to go there and be full of fun and joy anyway and see if you can't help everybody grow up a little. You have to make these choices. So what it boils down to is that morality and good choice has not much to do with what you do. It has more to do with your intent for doing it. Where are you? What's, what's making your choice your choice? That is what the moral choice is. So sometimes you may want to stay. In a dysfunctional relationship, sometimes you may want to leave it. It's not the, you know, it's not whether you do either one of those. That's the important. The important thing is why. Why do you want to stay? Well, because you want to be helpful to that person. Why do you want to leave it? Well, because you can't stand it. Well, that's about you, not about them. Love is always about other. Self-love is also an important factor, correct? I would disagree with that, but mainly on a semantic issue, not on a real philosophical issue. You know, I define the difference between love and not love is love is always about other. If it's about yourself, that's ego. Now, this idea about, well, you've got to love yourself before you can, you know, love anybody else, that has a good thought about it. I just don't like the words the way they're they're used. So it's a semantic issue. I would rather people say, you can't really... You know, have a good relationship with anybody else if you don't like yourself. You see, it's the negatives. If you feel negative about you, that's a problem. And that will poison everything else you do. So it's not like you have to love yourself. It's you have to get rid of your negativity about yourself. That's a really different thing. You have to like yourself. 
And if you don't like yourself, then you're not going to be very good for anyone else. And that's true. But I try not to use it in terms of loving yourself because then I get a conflict with my definition of the, the way, you know, you can tell love from, you know, from ego. And that is if it's about you, it's ego. And it's about other, then, you know, it can be love. If really your motivation is about somebody else, not about yourself. And even that can be confusing. You can say, oh, well, I locked my children in the closet after they're 13 and won't let them out to the 21 because I don't want them to become drug addicts. I'm just doing it for them. No, you're not just doing it for them. You're doing it because you don't want them to become drug addicts. It's something that you don't want, something that embarrass you, something to make you upset. You love the kids and you don't want them to do all that, so you're going to lock them up. Well, what you're going to do is you're going to hurt them more. You're going to make them you know, more likely to be drug addicts because you try to lock them up. So if it's about you, it almost always backfires and becomes dysfunctional because it's based on ego. If it's about other, you know, how can I help them? Well, to help them, you also have helped them live and help them interact and help them you know, grow up and be people. Um, so if it's about them, you have to have a bigger picture. So you look at everything you do and all the choices you, you make and say, well, what is the low entropy solution here in the long term? What's the love solution? What, is, what solution has the most positiveness to it in the long term? And that's how you decide what to do. So morality isn't based on what you do. It's based on really why you do it. It's your intent is the, is the key thing. So that's just like uh, we talked about before, the difference between being and acting. You see, you can be really kind and nice, but it doesn't, I mean, it's nice. It's civilizing. Everybody likes it better than when you're not nice, when you're kind, but you're not going to grow up much from that. This being it is the thing. So it's the same way with this. You know, if it, it needs to be, you know, if it's, if it's not, if your love is not unconditional, it's not love. It's something else. You know, most people don't fall in love, actually. They fall in need. They find somebody that meets their needs, and it's kind of a deal. I'll meet your needs, you meet my needs, and we'll make a team, but it's based on meeting needs. Well, that works for a while, but eventually people change. People grow. Their needs change. The way they view the world changes. Their reality changes, and this old deal about meeting needs doesn't necessarily work so good in the long term, whereas if it's love, you know, it's not a deal at all. It's something that you unconditionally give away. It's just a gift. And it is and it always is. Now, you know, a person has to earn your like. A person has to earn your trust. But a person doesn't have to earn your love. You give them that love because that's what you want to do. It's your own choice and you give it away. So in a relationship, it only takes one to love. The other person may be just their needs, but if one person's really loving and it's unconditional, the relationship will probably work out anyway. It'll probably still be a pretty good relationship, and both of them will be reasonably happy in it. See, so it's not a matter of, well, I don't want to give any more than I get. You know, that's the way a lot of relationships are. You know, there's this this, this reckoning of who's who's giving more and who's getting more, and everybody wants to make sure that they get everything they want and that they don't give more than they get back. Well, that's just a very self-centered, self-focused way of, you know, of interacting with somebody else. And if you have a relationship based on ego, eventually you're going to end up problems with that relationship. It's not going to work out in the long run because that's the wrong reason to, you know, to be with somebody is just because your needs. That's a short-term gain. Okay, that can be a gain. 
but it's not a long-term gain. It's a short-term gain. And sometimes people grow together, you know, and learn to love each other more, you know, and just keep doing that as they progress through their life. And that's good. They're growing, they're changing, but love is love. Once given, it's there. You know, if you have a child and your child does something horrible or something, you don't stop loving them. You may be very sad about it because now they're in jail or something and you're really, really sad, but you always love them no matter what they do. Even if they burn your house down, you'll still love them because they're your child and you gave them that love. So love once given isn't withdrawn. Like can be withdrawn. Trust can be withdrawn, but not love. Love is something you just give. There's no conditions on it. It's not I'll only love you if you don't burn my house down. You know, it's I love you, and that's that. There's no conditions on it. So that's, you know, that's the thing about living in a very nasty world. You can love and you can care, and it doesn't matter really what comes back. That's not the point of it. It's what can you give? How can you help? And helping makes you happy. And as you see people being happy, it makes you happy. And if you can do something to make them even happier, that makes you happy. And if you see people being mean, that makes you sad, but you just accept it and go on because that's the way it is, and they're doing the best they can with what they got, and it's their own life, and there's, you're not in charge of their life. So you don't feel bad about it. You don't get, you know, you don't get depressed by it. I, I haven't, haven't watched, watched Network News for probably 40 years. years. There's, There's just no, no point because it's all negative. It's, a, it's all fear. fear. You know, it's it's fear, 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 fear. And, and fear is the problem. problem. And there's and hardly anything on that that isn't fear-based. So it so just uh, has, has no value in it. So, you know, yeah, yeah, I say at least 40 years. I, have never, you know, I don't see any, any uh, network programming at all. I have no use for network news because it's there's nothing valuable about it. So why why listen? So yes, you can unplug yourself, and you live in a particularly lovely place that you've kind of unplugged yourself to be there. You know, that's a good decision now because we've got this internet. You can be all over the world and still live in a r- relatively unplugged, nice place. Well, that's a that's a dream. That sounds good. You know, why is why is choosing there? You can still integrate and be effective in the world, even though you're physically isolated. You're not isolated as consciousness. You're all over. You see, because we live in a small community, so small that it's like really one big dysfunctional family. When, when it's necessary to detach from that relationship it now directly impacts the bottom line in terms of our ability to feed ourselves when it is when we are dependent on the local economy but just like you said in the modern world because if you have an internet connection you are connected to everything then it's just finding opportunity to find your tribe if you will and they can be around the globe while you're still living where you are. Exactly, exactly, yeah. And that that dysfunctional family you're a part of doesn't have to be a downer. 
doesn't have to be upsetting. It just is the way it is. You deal with it when you have to deal with it. You have to go into town and shop and do other things. And, you know, you you have maybe a kid in school and you have to go, you know, to the parent-teacher meeting. And so you have to involve yourself with it in some of it. And you'll find nice people here and there that are in there. And you'll find some that you'd rather not spend time with. But you just do the best you can and figure that's they're just doing the best they can. And you don't get upset about it. You just work with it. So if you find that all the schools are terrible and your children aren't learning anything other than fear, then homeschool them, you know, find something else to do. If you feel that, uh, you know, you don't really have anybody to talk to, yeah, don't, you know, if you can't find anybody to talk to, well, talk to your friends on the internet. You know, you just have to uh, let things be the way they'll be. I homeschooled my child. I took all, I had three young ones all in school and uh, I took them all out of school and, and homeschooled them. My youngest was like in fifth grade. My oldest was just starting high school, and I pulled them all out and, and um, homeschooled a bunch of them. I just quit my job. I would just turned 55, I think, which was the earliest that I could possibly retire with the minimum amount of, <laughs> of time in. So I just barely made a retirement. Not a very good retirement, but I did. And I just quit and homeschooled the kids. And then I got a job um, uh, uh, as a consultant working from home. So it worked great. Yeah, yeah we uh, did the same. We just simplified our life and reduced our living expenses so that we had the time. And uh, that was part of moving here. And we homeschooled our two sons. And so many people told us that we would destroy them because of taking them out of the right. system. But they grew into the most independent people. And because their social life was so limited as they were young, every time someone came to visit, it didn't matter what their age was, they learned to interact with that person. And so now, I mean, they're in their mid-20s, and they can comfortably have a conversation with an 80-year-old or a 5-year-old. And they both, I mean, they've done very, very well for themselves. And so in the end, we didn't hurt them. And that no. feels good that we made the right decision. Yeah, yeah we And have, that's we really the that key is, is you got to listen to your own voice, right? Exactly. Right. Yeah, the rest of it's fear. People are trying to frighten you, right? Oh, if you do this, you'll ruin your children. See, oh, oh that's fear stuff. And you eventually get to where you, you see that for what it is. You know, it's not helpful advice. It's just fear-mongering. Yeah, my kids, uh, they went, they're now in their early 30s. And um, I actually have four kids, two girls, two boys. But I had three that were younger together. And that's the three I'm talking about. But anyway, they all told me after they were been in college for a few years that they were advantaged. They knew a whole lot more than the kids, you know, that, that were normal in their classrooms. I mean, when they were in my high school, even as, you know, we did a lot of work out of college texts, and they found it a lot more fun because I made learning fun, not uh, something that they had to memorize. So they knew how to think. They were critical. You know, they just felt they were advantaged over their peers. They thought their peers were kind of immature and didn't seem to know much. You know, they seemed like maybe they were two or three years younger than them, but they weren't. They were all the same the same age and they've done marvelously with their lives so, you know they've done fine but now they had a lot of social activity in the sense that where we live 
there's you know soccer teams and gymnastic and this and that there's just lots of stuff for kids to do and they'd go into those things and they'd meet friends there and they would have friends that they so they met a lot of other children but this thing that serves as socialization in public schools is not healthy at all in my opinion it's uh, you know it's a it's a gang more than a more than a community and it's it's not a good thing so yeah I, that was one of the best choices i i ever made was to pull all the kids out of school and and homeschool and my son was the one that ha- that asked me to do it he basically begged me please get me out of that jail it is so awful so horrific and i think he realized that if he stayed there it was going to damage him that he wouldn't you know that it was going to be bad for him so after I kind of looked around a little bit, I agreed with him 100%. You know, it was just as he says it was, said it was. And, uh, you know, he was, uh, he was a delight. They all, they all enjoyed the homeschool after the first year. My daughters were a little bothered about being pulled out of their little social cliques. But they got over that very quickly as they made other friends, other places, uh, you know, it, it worked out great for them, for them too. So everybody thought it was a good idea. I loved it because the family actually pulled together. Before, I had three kids all in different grades. They were all in their own cliques. They didn't even like each other very much. They didn't spend much time with each other. They are all doing their own things and their own little peer gangs. And it was a very unhealthy thing. And mom and dad were just, you know, dumb and didn't understand anything important and so on. And after we all were together all day for at least six months or so, that changed 100%. Now the kids liked each other. They started helping each other with their schoolwork. They worked together. You know, they they saw each other as, as valuable, you know, somebody to know. They shared their friends. So the friends that one would get were friends with, with all of them. And it uh, turned out to be very, very good for the family dynamic. Yeah, one spring, we just put all the kids in a car and spent a month driving around the United States seeing things things that would be interesting, you know, for kids. And, uh, you know, they couldn't do that if they were in school, but they all spent hours and hours sitting in a car together and there were no fights, there were no arguments, there was no complaining. Everything was nice because by then they were happy to be with their family. They were happy to be with their parents. It's not like parents and siblings were, you know, were a drag. It was like parents and siblings were a really great group to be with. So I think it made all the difference in the world to uh, my son and to my daughters to get out of the public school. I I have a question. Um, I've been writing about and thinking about for a while now um, the whole idea of whether we choose to be born into um, situations that are really challenging, like you're talking about your kids um, growing up in a really positive environment, and that is a lovely way to learn. But a lot of the time, people seem to choose avatars that are in families that are really dysfunctional, and they are having to deal with those challenges. And that seems to be another way to learn. Can, oh, go ahead. Well, I'm just wondering, do you, do you believe that we choose the circumstances that we're born into and that we are aware of those challenges that are inherent in that? Or do you think that it's all just chance? And if I could it's add both. to that, is it, is it also a situation where 
by inheriting those situations and dealing with it, can we heal the past karma, if you will? Okay. We'll talk about all of those. It's, it's both. It's not just one or the other. I'd say most of the time for most people, and most people are at a fairly low level of consciousness quality, just most people are. And for most, for most people then, and at the, at the lower end of the, of the consciousness evolution process, what people need is just experience. They need to get in and experience things and try to learn from it. So there's very little planning at the bottom end of the, of the uh, process of getting new experience packets. They just hop in, hop out. There's not even a whole lot of discussion in between initially because they just, you know, they, they don't know enough to say, oh, I need to learn that or I need to learn this. Or, I need to work on this. They don't really know enough to say any of that. So it's a hop in, hop out. You get whatever you get. You deal with it. You learn from it. You come back and then you do something else. Now, after enough of those, you get to the point that you realize what your strengths and weaknesses are and you do talk about it afterwards. Okay, that's part of what happens when you die here. You end up in a transition reality, another virtual reality frame, and you're guided through the process of then getting back into another experience packet. And part of the things you do is you, you uh, go over the choices that you've made, the, particularly the key choices that you made. And you see, you know, what was good or bad about them or how it helped or how it hurt. And that's very informative. And then you get to, you get to pick what it is you'd like to do next. Because at that point, you say, well, I got this issue with anger management. And the last time, that just got me in so much trouble because I kept flying off the handle, you know, when my buttons got pushed and I ruined all kinds of things that shouldn't have been ruined. So I want to work on anger management. So now the system will pick a place where you get particularly challenged by anger management, but in a situation where you are likely to succeed. Right? You don't want to put your student in over their head to where they're likely to fail. So then they will go into a place where they at least have an even chance of, of succeeding. So now it starts to get a little more planned. Now you're coming for certain kinds of experiences, and you may be born into certain situations in order to, to do that. Um, as you go on up now further up the evolutionary chain, you'll have people who have, who have learned a lot. They have a lot to give back. They have very low entropy. And now, not so much about them being challenged to get rid of their fear as it is them helping. They need to come back and be of maximum service to other people. So that gets planned. And now the planning is more detailed. You see, now the planning sometimes can even get to the point of being scripted. You know, they've got <clears throat> a mission. They've got something to do that they're supposed to do here. Certain people they're supposed to meet, certain connections they have to make in order to optimize their contribution. So you go from the very beginning level of evolution, uh, the evolution of consciousness, and it's just chance. It's just people jump in, jump out, and that's where the biggest crowd is. Okay, And it gets small, going again, going up the pyramid, right? So you get fewer and fewer people as you go up this evolution chain. And... As you go up, it gets more and more planned, more and more planned, and at the high end, it gets almost scripted. So it's a, you know, it's a, you get all of it 
at different levels. Now, sometimes somebody will end up maybe in a very bad situation. What about, uh, you know, not just a dysfunctional family. What about the kids that are born in a, in a nation where most everybody's starving to death? You know, you've seen those pictures on TV. At least I used to when I watched TV, you know, 40 years ago. There would be these, these mothers that look like skeletons with skin stretched over them, and they're clutching a little baby with a big bloated belly. And, uh, you know, there's starvation in that, in that area. And they were being fo- you know, photographed by relief workers who were trying to bring in things. But what, in any case, you know, you'd say, well, why would anybody want to, you know, be in that kind of an awful situation? Well, it's not about how good you feel. It's not about, you know, how much money you have and how many beers you get to drink. It's about growing up. And if you look at those situations, there's actually a lot of love in those situations. That mother's clinging to that baby. That baby's clinging to that mom, and they are very close. They're in it together, and there may be three or four other siblings. And notice that if that mom gets anything to eat, first she shares it with those babies. You see, so you're seeing an opportunity where, talk about love and caring and cooperation, that's a great lesson to be there. All right, it's a horrible situation physically, but physically isn't the point. The point is, you know, growing up, the choices you have to make. So that's even a, an easy situation because there's few other choices other than to, you know, do that. Now, you would have a choice. You could go around, and when some other mother gets some food, you could knock her with a stick, take her food, and give it to your own children. But you don't see that kind of thing happening in those places. That's not the way it is. Typically, everybody's just trying to live as long as they can and take care of the people they love as best they can. and Stuff happens, right? So that's what you get. So it's not like, oh, that's a losing you know, incarnation. Why would anybody do that? There's value all over. You may find somebody who, um, who was a, uh, a very arrogant and aggressive parent come back into a situation where he has a very angry and aggressive parent just so he can see what that looks like on the other side. You see, he was an aggressive, angry parent, so maybe he'll be in that role, not because he's expected to really do wonderful things with it, but it's, it's the education he needs to see the arrogance and the dysfunction of that, which otherwise he may not see. He may say, well, I wasn't that angry or whatever. I just did what I had to do. You know, those kids were always messing things up and breaking stuff, and, you know, you got to control it. You know, he had that kind of an attitude. Well, you see it from the other side, and it looks very different. So... It's not like every, every incarnation is going to be your last one, you know. These are all just pieces that you need to put together. So you just need a certain piece of the puzzle. Well, you might go get that piece of the puzzle. So now you see that. And the next time you uh, go to that uh, transition reality, you'll, you'll have both sides to look at. And that will be a great lesson. You'll suddenly let go of a lot of that arrogance because you see how dysfunctional and where it didn't do any good at all, didn't help anybody, didn't help the children, didn't help you, didn't, didn't do anything positive. It was all just negative all the way around. And these are learning things. So sometimes people will go into bad situations just because they need to see that for some reason. They need to feel that. And others will end up there because it's a challenge for them, a challenge to do that. They feel like they're pretty grown. All right, they've been around five or 600 times. They've got it under control. They're doing well. Let's do something a little harder this time. 
you know, let's go into a situation that you're going to have to show your stuff and see what happens. Well, that's that happens too. So there's a lot of reasons, but for the biggest number of people, they're just jumping in and jumping out. It's it's not entirely random. The system will put them where they think is probably a good place for them, but it's there's not a lot of thought put into it either because they just need more experience. So it's a mix of all of those. And then you had a last question that was on top of that, which was? Well, I was, I was talking about, or my question was, do you think that you can heal well, the past, past family karma like not just talking about the the spirit side of things for lack of a better term but also the physical uh, for example i supposedly inherited some health issues from my lineage and my question too is is that if i deal with those issues that i inherited and reverse their effect, could that have a retroactive effect on my family? Or future. Or future. I mean, future, I think, is you kind of assume that what you do today is going to affect what comes after you. That that reality we all accept. It's the reverse of that, though. Okay, there's a whole lot of things in there, so let me touch on all of them. Um, you come in, the way it works, right, the way I told you before, you have an individuated unit of consciousness. It partitions off a piece of itself, and that piece that it partitions off, that it's going to log on, that piece is going to log on then and make the choices for the avatar. I call that piece a free will awareness unit. Okay, now it comes in with all the quality of its individuated unit of consciousness, where it comes from. So it takes all of that quality with it. So everything that that individuated unit of consciousness has learned over the past 500 incarnations as far as quality and, you know, lower entropy and growing up, then it takes that with it. When it goes to its new avatar, it's got all that earned quality. And it also has the negative, too. It has, you know, the lack of quality. It has whatever it is it's learned. So it may, in general, have fears or other things. Well, that's part of its quality. So it takes that and, you know, wherever, the, wherever it left off in its, in its evolution last time, that's what it starts with. So, yes, all the things you learn, then you get to start with them. It's cumulative. That's the whole point. So then you get a, a new avatar and you come with no intellectual information. That, that, uh, that, that individual unit of consciousness just gives you its quality, not its intellect, not its knowledge, not its history. None of that. All you get is its quality. And then you want to start with no preconceived notions, no beliefs, no, you know, nothing that, that, uh, that's going to be a problem. So you start and all you have is the quality. All right. So in that case, let's say you start with a fear, some sort of sense of being inadequate, because that's the way, that's the level of consciousness that you were. Oh, yeah, you bring that in. And yes, if you work on that and you overcome it and you get rid of that fear, well, next time, the next time part of this IUOC goes into an avatar, it doesn't have that fear because you conquered that. You got rid of it. So you see, it learns. So you, you get to keep the positive things that you learned. Well, in a sense, you get to keep the negative things too. It's, it's evolution. 
right? When you evolve, it's you growing. Well, you can de-evolve at the same time, and that's you not growing. It's going backwards. You, know, you can get higher entropy or lower entropy in evolution. It, go, it works either way. So you can actually backslide, and you can go back to where your IUOC is worse off than it was before you had that, that incarnation because you actually de-evolved. So it is that this IUOC, individuated unit of consciousness, is just a summation of all of the experiences that you, that you have. So it's trying to grow. So the thing about karma is there is no, um, well, let's put it this way. There is, a, there is a concept of karma, but it's not the way many people think. And that is karma is just like I described. Things that you don't learn, well, now you've got to learn them next time. And if you don't learn it, then you've got to learn it the next time. So you got to keep on trying. You don't get, you don't get a pass just because you've tried enough times. So, well, you know, good effort. Let's pass him on. <laughs> that doesn't happen. You have to earn all of your growth, right? So if you don't earn it, you don't have it. So if you're working on anger management and you still get angry, well, next time around, you're still going to get angry. And if you don't learn it, then next time around, you'll probably still get angry. So that's karma. It's not like you get punishment. It's not like you, uh, because you were angry, somebody is going to be angry with you. You know, it's not that sort of thing. That's too simple. Uh, it's not, a, it's not a, a punishment and reward system. It's just that you got to grow up. There's no free lunch. If you don't do it, you just got to do it again. You get as many, uh, you know, as many chances as you want. You know, there, there's uh, basically unlimited opportunity for you to learn this. And if it takes you 100 incarnations to learn it, well, it takes you 100. If it only takes you two, well, you can move on to other things more quickly. So that's really what karma is. There's no free pass just because you try. You have to do. Right? And that what Yoda said, there is no try. <laughs> just do. Right? That was a Yoda line. Anyway. That's uh, my favorite line. <laughs> anyway, so that's the way, that's karma. That's really what karma is, is that uh, you don't get punished because you did it wrong or because you, uh, you know, you backslided or de-evolved or whatever. It's not that you get a punishment. Your punishment is that now if you backslided, you have to get yourself out of a hole. You don't, you don't start where you started last time. You start a little lower down in the evolution scheme. You see, so you can de-evolve, dig yourself a hole that you got to work out of. But it's not a, it's not a rewards and punishment game. It's a grow-up game. I, I guess I misused the word karma because what I was referring to is, okay, for example, if I go back to my great-great-granddaddy who had certain proclivities, whether they be physical or his emotional condition mm -hmm. or whatever, who he was affected his offspring and mm -hmm. continued the domino effect until I came along. And I don't know if you've read any of uh, James Redfield's uh, material like the Celestine Prophecy. He talks about how we enter a family system to take on the challenges of our mother and our father and to strike a balance because we've absorbed qualities of of their lives and it's up to us to assimilate and in that process of assimilation my assumption was is that it could be 
backward healing. Uh, it could assist them in healing the things that maybe they didn't quite get at in their last carnation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I see what you mean. Uh, in that sense, I would say, no, I, I don't agree with that. Uh, time moves forwards. You don't change the past. The past is done. You can't change it. Uh, so you're not going to do that. But now you can use that technique to to heal someone. Let's say one, there's a there's a technique that says, okay, you have a you have a limp or you have a leg that you know one leg's shorter than the other or something like that, and that happened ever since you had this accident or something happened to you. You can go back to the time that it happened and work on it there, and then it'll heal it here. Okay, but it's not because you're literally doing that. That's just a tool for you to focus your intent on modifying the future probability of it getting better. So it's it's a it's a tool. It's not really that you're going into the past and doing something. There is no butterfly effect like that. Like you make a change in the past and it flutters up to the future, or you make a thing in the future and it changes the past. The past is done. It's just information, and you don't change that. But what you do change, you do get these things. You know, part of the rule set is our biology, right? The rule set by by which this virtual reality is 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 created is biology. And in biology, you do have uh, chromosomes, and you inherit things, and you inherit uh, certain proclivities toward things, or illnesses, or attitudes. There's a lot of things that you can inherit, and you do, and that depends on a on a lot of chance, right? When those uh, when that egg and that sperm get together, there's a whole lot of possibilities, probably billions and billions of possibilities, and just one set of those possibilities is what actualizes itself. And then that's what you have to play. So if you're a consciousness and you're going to log on and make choices for that character, that just defines what you have to work with. You see? So let's say you work with a character and that character, uh, because of biology, uh, the mother took uh, thalidomide, you know, uh, while she was pregnant. This is a drug that caused birth defects 40 years ago. Well, okay, so now you're going to avatar and you're, you know, the person that, that you're going to uh, be the consciousness for, yeah, doesn't have any arms or only has one leg or something else. Well, that's what you have to work with. Now, you have to make choices for somebody that, you know, has one leg or no arms or is mentally retarded or something else. And you play that character to the best of your ability. And if the way you play it, let's say, is you feel sorry for yourself and are depressed because, oh, why is me? You know, I got such a lousy break in life. Well, now you're not doing very well. If you play it where you are positive about it and you're going to do the best you can with, you know, whatever you've got, then you'll grow from it. So there's, there really isn't any situation that you can't grow from. There's positive growth in all kinds of situations. It just depends on how you deal with it and how everybody else around you deals with you because parents and grandparents and neighbors and everybody else that is around where there's a child to say with no arms, it affects everybody. You see, it affects a whole lot of people who also now have opportunities to make better choices and grow up. And uh, so it's a, yes, there is, there is inheritance, but however that inheritance comes out, your, your consciousness gets to deal with it. Do you think that our consciousness um, influences the way that that being initially evolves in the womb? It can, yes. 
It can. If you have a certain thing, let's say you're up in that uh, those uh, the upper area of evolution where you're planning something. You need a certain kind of situation to help you learn the things you need to learn. Yes, then the system can manipulate that probability and produce a situation that is optimal for you to learn the things you need to learn. So yes, that can it can be adjusted. So it's not entirely random. If you're down in the in the beginning levels, then generally it's just whatever you get. You know, let the random, you know, let the dice fall the way they fall and you get whatever you get and you play you play that avatar the best you can and then you get another one. So it's it's that sort of thing. So yes, sometimes that can you know, there is planning going on there. And the system can manipulate that. See, it's all, it's a, you know, it's, the avatar is computed. The DNA is computed. Everything is computed. It's the rule set. So it can come in and it can tweak in that system and do all kinds of things if it thinks it's going to help somebody grow up. It'll do that. It doesn't do it just to play with its pet people. It only does that if it thinks it's in a process of helping somebody else have a better probability of growing up in some way so yes you can you can uh, it's not always just random okay now let's see I was going to say what a good thing is about this and and that is that this this uh, inheritance thing this your genes your DNA it's not as hard to influence as geneticists would tend to make you believe it's not that you know you can change it the things that happen to you in your life will modify your DNA. If you, uh, you know, if you're a mother and you're pregnant with your child and you get really frightened about something or you get really upset or depressed about something, that will change your child. And if you are right now, if you have something that is really a big lesson for you, something you really learn, something you, you gain or something you lose, whatever, and it makes a real big difference to you, That'll affect your DNA, and you will tend to pass that on. So you're not really trapped in somebody else's DNA. Just because you have that, yes, there's some conditions, right? Uh, you know, just because you have that, maybe you have a higher probability of being bald or being short or being tall or, you know, whatever, because that's the way, you know, your parents and your grandparents were. That's there. But you can make out of it almost anything you want. You can modify a lot of your biology just from your mind. So, yes, you got some envelope of things that the biology is going to determine, and a lot of that is random, but sometimes can be manipulated. But there's also a lot of it that you can change. 